In today's show, we're talking about the reigning NBA champion, Denver Nuggets, their season preview for 23-24, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode was brought to you by nobody. I thought it was going to be brought to you by somebody, but I forgot. Anyway, thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Don't forget, go back and check my Yahoo early rankings show a couple of days ago. Information in there of how to enter the Locked On Fantasy Basketball FBI Basketball World Cup. I'm going to have more information on that in a show coming later on this week, but there's information already out there. So go and check it out. And now we are going to talk... Denver Nuggets, a team that didn't change much, but also did. So we'll talk about that, the impact of the championship as as well. So we might as well get started right now. So one of the hosts of the Locked On Nuggets is here with me to talk about the Denver Nuggets, and that is Matt Moore. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on again. You've done this with me for the last couple of years talking, but this time it's talking about the defending NBA champion Denver Nuggets. Um how does that change the vibe around this team, the vibe in the city? Like, I'm assuming they're still celebrating with it? Uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that there's still a lot of celebration going on. Although, you know, I think it's I think Yoka just is celebrating it. You know, Jamal Murray, we'll see whether or not he plays in FIBA World Cup. Uh, then you got, I think, Aaron Gordon, who's just at Team USA. I think he's definitely still celebrating. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what the vibe is because this wasn't just a championship. It was the first championship for these guys, and it wasn't just the first championship for these guys. It was the first championship in franchise history, and they know what they accomplished. And so I think one of the interesting questions is going to be what's their motivation level going into next season? Uh, how driven are they to really put up numbers in the regular season? Are they going to want a big win total? Do they still believe that they're going to need home court? Those kind of questions I think really are um, – important when understanding the context of this team especially given their lack of depth after the departures of bruce brown and jeff green and free agency this is a young young team with a lot of unproven talent once you get past the first seven so i think that there's a lot of questions about what's going to be the approach how healthy are they going to be uh, how much load management will there be what's that going to mean for them versus what it meant for them last year there's quite a few questions when it comes to the nuggets and defending uh, their nba title yeah, well, that's all the questions I had for you, mate. You answered them all in approximately two minutes, so we're done. We're out of here. Everything everything that we're going to talk about uh, has been covered there, but we actually do have to answer some of those questions because they're all the questions that we have. But let's have a look at how the team looks and what's happened, who's come, who's gone. Justin Holiday arrives along with the three draft picks, Hunter Tyson, Julian Strauber, Jalen Pickett, Jay Huff, and Braxton Key join as two-way guys, but they lose Bruce Brown, Thomas Bryant. No one cares about that one. Jeff Green, Ish Smith, and Jack White is gone. And that is, no matter how you want to slice it, that's a talent downgrade because Bruce Brown and Jeff Green were parts of the finals rotation. And Justin Holiday, I think, is washed. And the others are either late first or early second round draft picks who may or may not contribute. So there is a definite downgrade in talent here. I am guessing, Matt, and this is the, the widely held assumption that 
the Nuggets, obviously they couldn't pay that amount to Bruce Brown, but they are relatively confident that Christian Brown will be able to slide in and provide somewhat of a facsimile of what Bruce was able to do. I think it's more that they're going to try and divvy up the chunks of what Bruce brought, right? So Bruce's on-ball defense goes to Christian Brown and some of his off-ball shooting, maybe that gets replaced either if Brown is able to get on track there or Strother hits as a pure three and D option as a rookie um, or Justin Holiday isn't washed and gives them some of that. Um, Bruce's ball handling goes to Reggie Jackson, who they brought in after the deadlines that, that running the backup point guard position or Jalen Pickett, you know, steps up who they're very high on as a second rounder. And he becomes and takes over some of that role. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope picks up some of the shooting and ball handling. Um, Jamal Murray, you know, maybe plays more regularly this season. They did last year coming off the injury and that impacts things. They're going to have to divvy up. I think a lot because Bruce wasn't just, one thing to the Nuggets. He was very much a jack-of-all-trades for whatever they needed. Jamal Murray needs a night off? No problem. Bruce Brown slides in the starting lineup, and it's dynamite. Um, hey, you need somebody to come off the bench and just go end-to-end, just put rim pressure and help play defense. Bruce Brown does that. Can Christian Brown really do that? Is he an end-to-end ball handler? Probably not. He has a lot of issues in transition in terms of being able to finish. He'll be better this year with some more polish. But these are all things I think that are going to be seen here where the optimum fully healthy version of the nuggets they can probably divide many of these components and figure them out i think they're going to struggle with trying to find guys that are able to do all of that especially if there are injuries which of course there always are going to be in the course of an nba regular season what you said there about bruce brown is 100 percent correct because no matter who got hurt or whoever was out bruce just stepped in jamal contavious Caldwell pope was out Aaron Gordon was out, Michael Porter was out, and Bruce Brown would start, and everyone else would just shuffle around, and Christian Brown can't do that. And you, you say yeah, Reggie Jackson will replace the ball handling, but there's a reason Reggie Jackson wasn't a part of the rotation in the playoffs is because he didn't play very well, so that is clearly a downgrade when you have to go to someone who wasn't good enough to get those minutes last season, but now is going to be relied upon to do that. And maybe it is Jalen Pickett. I'm not, not sure that it is, and we'll talk more about Malone and rookies later on. Um, the other one that leaves is Jeff Green, who again played a key rotation role on this team. I... I am fairly confident, very confident that Peyton Watson is going to be able to step into that role and produce at an adequate level. The other problem with that is, as it brings us onto this page, is that one of the other guys who was going to have to step into that role was Vlaco Chancha, who has now torn his ACL and will not play this season. So I, I would the thought it would have been Chancha and Watson who would have taken those roles, but now it's going to have to be Watson, and it's probably going to mean that they play a little bit more of DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, so this gets this gets messy, right? So it's like, is Zeke Naji a four or a five? Does the team have like a long-term interest in Zeke Naji? Are they mm. committed to him? Are they trying to like really keep him? Is he is he stay, is he gonna be available? Because every time it seems like Zeke carves out a role for himself, every time, it, then Naji gets hurt. He, it's he just crazy. Up an angle and he's out for a couple of days. There are like Naji truthers amongst the Lockdown Nuggets faithful that are just like, no, no, Zeke's gonna do it this year, and it's like the third year running. That that's been kind of the case. Vlaco's a bigger loss than I think people realized. Yeah. Like everyone, when Vlaco Chanchar suffered this this really unfortunate and, and pretty uh, bummer of an injury in World Cup play, you know, the consensus was like, oh, that, that sucks for him. And then like kind of a, a move on. But people that follow the Nuggets are like, uh oh, because now it really is like Peyton Watson, who there are times when Peyton Watson looks like a baby lamb. He just looks like a baby lamb trying to find his legs and he can just wobble all over the place. There are times when Peyton Watson looks like a dynamic, 
multifaceted combo forward that can handle and finish and has all the shot blocking ability and can switch and do all these things. But I, I do think that ultimately expecting Watson to do all of that, to be that kind of consistent force, that's asking a lot of a guy in the second year when he is still such a raw prospect. Um, that's why I think that you know there has been some question of like, look, is the stuff that we saw from Hunter Tyson in Summer League where he was fantastic and blew everybody away, is that real? We won't really know that, honestly, until training camp. Like, you will be able to get a sense in training camp. You will hear... If, if Michael Malone comes out and is like, yeah, Hunter Tyson absolutely killed it. If the guys that are in the workouts are like, yeah, Hunter Tyson's like, I, I did not believe, did not know he was going to be this good. That'll be optimum, right? You still got to see him do it in games. Still got to see it across the season for sure. But like the first step is just like, does he cr cross the bar of training camp? But that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about going from Jeff Green, who hmm. was a net negative in impact, but at least was like, hey, we need somebody with strength to guard this combo forward. Sure, Jeff can do it. Hey, we need somebody to just come in and eat some minutes. Just eat up some minutes in the regular season. Sure, Jeff can do it. And ultimately, he was a negative, and that's kind of the upside here. Is like, look, the minutes were so bad in the on-off splits that there can't be they can't be worse. And so, like, I think actually from a fantasy perspective, it's going to be really interesting. Which is like, what if the impact is better but the production is worse? Like, what if you actually have guys that do less but they just don't they don't wind up getting killed in the plus minus as badly? as Jeff Green did. That, I think, is an interesting question because I still don't know what Peyton Watson's actual role is as, like, a role, role uh, an archetype in the NBA. I don't know what that mold is. I don't know what Hunter Tyson's going to be. I don't know what Julian Strother's going to be. We don't know about any of these guys. And then it comes down to Zeke Naji, who, again, has all these injuries. So, Blackout Chanchar's injury, I think, is a much bigger deal with the makeup of the Nuggets' regular season rotation than people realize. No, it's huge. And there's it's, it's also huge for fantasy as well in terms of... I also have been a Zeke Naji truther at times, but, you know, three years in a row, if he plays one game in a row and gets hurt, like, I'm, I just can't believe it until I see it now because he gets those games and you go, oh, here we go, like, something's going to happen. But the thing is that now losing Jeff Green, losing Vlako Chanchar, and the guy that's sort of ahead of them on the depth chart, the starter is a player that I don't know if you can really rely on Michael Porter Jr. to be always healthy. That back is obviously an ongoing concern. And if he gets hurt, then that means Tyson or Watson is probably going to have to start. And that's where some weird value might come in. But we're going to talk about starting lineups and rotations in a second before we get to that. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangel Sportsbook. Fangel Football season is about to kick off and Fangel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. Do you reckon, Matt, that it's worth putting uh, a Super Bowl winner bet on Russ and the and the Broncos or is that not really maximizing your bonus bets opportunities? I think you probably find some value on them for the division, given that they're a big underdog to the Chiefs. So I would probably look in that direction first. Let's do baby steps of the Broncos before we move all the way to the Super Bowl. Let's... Well, hey. I know the Broncos fans are going to hate the Chiefs, but if you want to get those bonus bets, putting a Super Bowl winner bet on the Chiefs might get you some of those to accrue pretty quickly. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, over-unders, totals, money lines, whatever it is. So visit fangil.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fangil.com slash locked on. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Matt, your projected starting five. This is the easiest question I've ever asked anybody. It is, of course, Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. And honestly, I don't really want to spend too much time because I'm going to talk about some of these guys individually a little bit later on. But this is where it gets interesting because I asked you for a you know, rotation. You said, all right, Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, 
Zeke Naji, and then I don't know what happens with that last but It's a to-be-determined eighth and ninth player. I tend to think that Peyton Watson is going to be in there almost almost definitely, but I don't know that. And then and then who knows? Like, uh, I is it going to be Tyson, who was clearly the best performed out of those three rookies in training camp? Could, honestly, like, is Jay Huff a better player than DeAndre Jordan at the moment? It's debatable. Like, I think Jay Huff's not a bad player, but he's on a two-way. Um, is Justin Holiday? the guy that gets in there because he looked absolutely dreadful in basically every game he played last season. So this is when we talk about this team and you talk about championship hangovers and, you know, let's take it easy. They might be in a position where they do have a championship hangover. They don't take it seriously, but they also might be in a spot where they're so depth challenged that they need to start like pulling their finger out. Otherwise, you know, they might be a play-in team if things don't go right. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing is like their margin for error is very small now because mm. of the depth. Like they had depth last year to be able to get through these kind of spots. Part of it is just, you know, if Nikola Jokic plays, they're going to win and they're going to win. Like they win 70% of their games when Jokic plays. Yeah. That's been the, the trend over the last five years. And it's, it's higher with this group. So it's like, you know, as long as Jokic is healthy, ultimately they'll probably be fine and they'll probably be at least above the play-in bracket, I would think. Um, now, the opposite of that is that what if Jokic needs to miss some time? Like, what if Jokic does finally, even though he's been so durable, what if it's like, no, Jokic is going to miss a month of action with whatever small injury he picks up? There's yeah. no answer there. There is no, like, well, they'll try and get by. No, there's nothing. There's no answer there. They have no options. Like, maybe they start Aaron Gordon at the five and slot Christian Brown in and try and get through those starter minutes. But then once you hit to the bench, it's going to have to be DeAndre Jordan. And, mm-hmm. like, DeAndre was huge for this team last year in terms of chemistry and his veteran leadership, and he was valuable to this team. Can't play. Like, just can't play. And all of that was true last year. Like, I didn't even think DeAndre played that badly. But yet the plus-minus kind of revealed, like, they just bled whenever he's on the court. It's just what happens now. So they really do not have those options. If Jamal Murray needs to miss time, again, Reggie Jackson slots into that starting unit. Okay, who's the backup point guard? Jalen Pickett, second rounder? Mm -hmm. So this gets very dire very, very quickly. You know, the Peyton Watson question, he probably should be included in here because in, if nothing else, Calvin Booth, that's his guy. Like Calvin Booth believes in Peyton Watson. And so there will be a lot of pressure to put him into the rotation and keep him in the rotation and give him opportunities to fail and to learn and to progress. I think that that's a, a big thing to ask of a coach who, despite what, having just won the NBA title, it's this is always a what have you done for me lately league. And especially with coaches, how, how many coaches have won a title in two years been gone? How many coaches have made the finals and within two years have been gone? So uh, there will still be kind of this desire to, to, you know, Malone will still want a top three seed. He will still want home court and he will still want to win as many games as possible. If Peyton Watson has any sort of issues in terms of like on court fit or, you know, knowing how to run offense, those kind of issues, it could get kind of dicey here. So um, I honestly do not know. That's one of the reasons why whenever I've been asked these kind of questions, I would tell you that like, if you ask me, what is the Nuggets rotation as you did? I have the answer for you now, which is a lot of like, I guess, but the real answer is that by the deadline, they are very likely to have players that are not on roster right now and are very likely to, to be, look very different by the deadline in terms of the depth rotation. The starters will be what the starters are, but the I think the bench will have to change throughout the season, whether that's with veteran pickups, buyout guys, or small trades. I'm pretty confident that summer drinking legend Michael Malone is going to play Justin Holiday early on like he's he, that's just that's just who Malone is right he's just going to be like all right you've been around like we'll see what happens I, I think you'll realize pretty quickly that's not the answer but that's going to depend on if Strouder and Tyson can push up and and be relied upon because 
yeah, it's not Braxton Key or Colin Gillespie or those sort of guys who are going to step up as, as two-way players into that role. That brings us to the youth focus. These are all guys who are aged under 23. Christian Brown's 22, Watson's 20, Najee's 22, and Strouder's 21. You'll see that Jalen Pickett and uh, Hunter Tyson aren't on this list because they are both 23. They're both drafted as 23-year-olds. I think Pickett was a five-year senior, taking up his extra COVID year, coming out of Penn State, Hunter Tyson for Clemson. Tyson showed me stuff in Summer League that I didn't know that he necessarily was going to be able to do. The shooting, sure, but he was taking blokes off the dribble. He was driving. He was attacking. And, and that was the most encouraging thing there. But I do want to talk a little bit more on... on we've spoken Watson a bit. I want to talk Christian Brown, who, as a rookie, as a rookie pick in the 20s, was able to get minutes at times in the finals, which is an anomaly in itself, but it's also an anomaly playing for Michael Malone. Now, he's going to have to be at least penciled in to be relied upon more this season, but what is his biggest thing that he needs to improve? Hmm, good question. Uh, I want to start real quick by saying that there is kind of this misconception of Malone in that he won't play young guys. Um, RJ Hampton was starting in the very injury-ravaged 2021 uh, season before they traded him. Um Bones Highland was given the backup point guard job full out. Like he was just given that full reign. And Bones was the one that made those mistakes. And Bones clashed with the locker room more than he clashed with Malone. And he clashed with Malone a lot. So it tells you how bad things were in the locker room. Um, Christian, on the other hand, did everything that he's been asked to do. When you do the things that you're asked to do as a rookie, Malone will wind up slotting you in. He's moved away from, I think he was more reticent to do that when the, the core nuggets were younger, when it was Jokic was inexperienced and Jamal was inexperienced and Gary Harris and those guys, when it was like complimenting young guys with even younger guys. Now it's like complimenting a pretty veteran group with younger dudes. As far as Christian, you know, his defense is phenomenal. He's just an absolutely incredible defender. And offensively, he showed a lot in the finals in terms of those cuts and learning how to take advantage of how the, what the defense showed him and punishing that by either cutting or cutting and then getting the ball back to Jokic. Like those little passes that he made really hurt the heat. The heat were absolutely flabbergasted that they couldn't just pick on Brown by not guarding him. And not only was it with his scoring, but when they rotated over, he made that extra pass where he does get in trouble. And we saw this in the Lakers series when he is physically outmatched and the game is, is at a very intense level. He gets a little out of control offensively. He's turnover prone and he just doesn't take, you'll notice like he doesn't take the right angles or he seems a little lost when he's trying to find his spot in the offense because so much of, of what Denver does is read and react. So Brown, I think this season with some polish can improve on all those things. The three pointer I think is something that I don't foresee like a huge, I am, I'm not like Christian Brown is a 40% shooter. He just needs to have more polish. And I don't think that he's like always going to be a sub 30% shooter either. He'll probably level out somewhere between 33 and 35 this year. I think it'd be okay. Not good. Not great. Not even league average, which has crept up so much, but okay. Um, but what he really does need to do is he needs to be able to finish with more poise, with more control, especially in transition when he's getting out with the ball and he's out of control and, and there's, and he gives up charges on offensive fouls when he's out of control. Those are really costly. He's got to find ways to finish more smoothly. And a lot of that is just stuff that I see with rookies. There's very little with Christian Brown that I identify as like, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to do X that he needs to most everything that he needs to do. He'll get there and he'll probably get there on a pretty short timeline. That kid's going to have a very long career. The interesting thing with Brown is there was a lot of clamoring from Nuggets people that Malone wasn't playing him enough. We heard that. Maybe that was just a vocal online community that I was seeing, but th that happened, right? But his numbers from last season require a lot of context because he did shoot 35% from three, but that also trended down as the season went on. But his 
two-point percentage went up as the season went on. He was at 62% over the final 25 games from two-point range. And you go to look at something like his EPM over at Dunks and Threes, and it's a it's a horrifying number. You go, man, why Nuggets fans talking about this guy? He was like minus four, 17th percentile. But then you look at the graph, and you just see how bad it was early on. And then you see that he was actually a positive player all through the playoffs. And you go, okay, that's very interesting. Is it, It's a continual improvement, and then became an actual positive winning contributor according to the EPM metric through the playoffs, which is, you know, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to continue on that trend or it's even going to continue at that level through next season. But as all that stuff improved and he did earn that trust, like the numbers overall look bad, but when it mattered and as the season went on, he started to look pretty good. So there is a lot of encouragement, I think, there in terms of, um, in terms of looking at how his season, uh, his season went. Now, Matt, this, and you will know this, and I know I've, when I've spoken in the past with Adamaras about this, there's always there's always a thing with Nikola Jokic and starting the season. And usually, I know Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but Adam's like, November 15th, like, that's it. Jokic is like, I'm just taking it easy. Then November 15th, he goes, all right, let's get let's get serious here. Let's let's really start to crack. And I, I, I worry that with the uh, amount of uh, horse riding that's been going on from Nikola Jokic that that November 15th deadline might might push back a little bit where he just like doesn't quite take it as seriously as maybe he does later on in the season that that might extend a little bit this season yeah so it's very telling to me that in his, po- his post championship exit interview <laughs> with yeah. all the excitement he said quote, I'm going to take some extra time this summer. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know when he's coming in. It would, if you told me he was not in Denver for preseason, there is no part of me that would be surprised. No. If you told me he arrived the day before the opener of the season, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I also wouldn't be surprised if that happened and then he came in and he dropped a 30-point triple-double on the Lakers on the opening night because that's just the dude shows up and, and that's how he, how it goes. Um, on the same time, he has taken his conditioning at, at such a, a more serious level. He has developed so yes. much into a professional. He's been more, such so much more serious about his approach um, all, in all aspects. And you can see that reflected in like the suits that he wears to games and how he is with the media. He's be really goofy and fun with us. And now he's a lot more like, no, next question. You know, like he's a lot more serious. So he may be, you know, he, that same professionalism may carry over and he may be like, they're on day one of training camp and play, but I think that we'll see a lot more days off. I just think that he's going to need more time. I just think he's going to need a little bit more of a break. You got to remember how much basketball he's played over the last four years, where you've got that entire bubble run, a month off, back into the season. He plays all every game in 2021. He's in that. He goes to he goes to the second round that year versus the Suns. Comes back the next season, has to carry without Jamal and MPJ that entire year. Wins MVP again, goes out in the first round, plays for Serbia in last summer's FIBA qualifiers, then comes into this season, puts up another MVP caliber season, and wins the title. So, like, there's just a ton of basketball that he's played over this time. I think that mentally and physically, he's pretty burned out. Now, there's no way to really predict when that burnout repairs because we don't have real data on that kind of stuff you can talk about injuries and that recovery time but i there's no study that could tell you on any on the average individual of like how long it takes them to get mentally back into the flow it's gonna be a little bit though and so i think that there's a very definite possibility that Jokic starts out slow the question i think that we have to ask is is Jokic at this point is his slow still an mvp level 
because that's how much he controls the game, how easy it is for him, and how much he's able to dominate. A lot of the stuff that he did last season was honestly light work. And I it's hard for me to get an estimate of how hard he's working before we hit like a conference semifinals level, given how much he dominates the game just with his understanding of how to control it. He, yeah, you're right. He's improved a lot of that, the conditioning stuff that we, we talked about and the slow starts. I, I'm a little worried. Like he, he has been indestructible, so to speak. He missed 13 games last season. Some of it was a little bit taking it easy, but he did have a hamstring problem that did bother him a little bit throughout the season. And yeah, like all of us, Matt, he's getting a little bit older and you don't stay indestructible forever. So it is going to be interesting to see how he gets managed throughout this season because there's there's no guarantee that he's back and playing 77 games or or anything like that. Not that he's you know running at huge minute loads all the time, but there is a possibility that something that did start to bother him a little bit last season. I think he had a wrist injury at some point in the last yep. season of the year before as well, which has some bothers there. Like there are a couple of things that are just starting to just starting to add up. And that, as you get older, this stuff does take a little bit longer to heal from or, or just you need that extra time. And after these extended runs, as you mentioned, that that is somewhat of a, of a concern. I think the other thing that's important to note with with Jokic and even the Nuggets team in general. Now I'm going to, I've always referenced the Nuggets as sort of an NBA equivalent to my, my favorite team in the Australian football league, the Western Bulldogs. We've always had these exciting sort of players, but could never get through and over the hump. And then we did in 2016 after 65 years after our first one, our first and only one. And then after that, basically the fan base was like, who cares? Like who cares what happens from here on out? We've done it. We won. We never take that away. And then there was a huge letdown even internally in the, in the team. And you know, they sort of struggled to get back to that level. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen with Denver, but with all these things adding up, like there is, there's got to be a sense of, I don't know if like relief, but it's also not, not necessarily foot off the gas, but I, I think there is a level of concern with a team that's strived so much and been close so many times in the past that once you get there, there's like a... Uh, does it turn into we're going harder again, or is there something that that eases off? Plus all these other concerns, plus things here. That it is it is a little precarious. I agree. I think the bigger problem, honestly, is that I think there's a hubris a little bit, and mm-hmm. I say that based off of they immediately started talking about dynasty. Yeah, like yeah. they started talking about winning more than one, and I'm just like, guys, just be here, just be here right now. This is a great moment for you just be here because the repeat is hard and then the three P is nearly impossible. And so like, there are all these reasons that to believe them that they're going to be there, but it, it sets you up to be in the pack. The nuggets are very, are going to be very Spurs like where they have a chance to win every year that Jokic is around much the same way that the Spurs had a chance to win every season that Tim Duncan was around. Like they will have that opportunity. They have an infrastructure, they have good coaching, they have Jamal Murray, they have good shooting, they have a good front office. All these things are in place. But you still gotta get fortunate. They had exceptional health mm. luck in last year's playoffs. Yep. You know, they, they were healthy for the most part. Guys missed time last year because they were able to miss time. Jamal Murray was able to miss time to recover from the ACL because they had Bruce Brown, etc. Uh Jokic was able to take games off because they had the number one seed for most of the season. If that goes away, in part because your depth has been decimated. Now, all of a sudden, your margin for error goes away, and you're going to have to scrap and claw and fight. And that's going to be even harder coming off of the energy that you expended last year. So they are very confident in their ability to get back there because I think their thing is as long as we're healthy and we can't control whether or not we're going to be, as long as we're healthy come April, we can win the title. And I think that they're right. It's a question of just managing all of that, trying to get through that, getting the right breaks, 
And then on top of it, I, I do think is like, look, you know, your guys are going to have to be as good as they were last year. Not everybody, not all NBA careers are linear. Very few NBA careers are linear. So seeing, you know, does Aaron Gordon play as well? Does MPJ play as well? Does he get better? Maybe MPJ plays way better. Is Jamal going to be as good in the playoffs next year as he was this year? He's been nothing but dynamite in his last two playoff appearances. So there's no reason to think otherwise. But we also don't have that big of a sample size. There's all these type of questions to your point, which is centrally, you can't rule out Denver. And you mm, can't no, say that they're not, not going to be a number one seed or a two seed or a three seed. That they're not going to put up 50 plus wins. But you also can't be like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. They're dead. Like, just pencil them in. They're done. They're good. There are questions here that have to do with the context of coming off of what happened last season, what happened in the offseason, and what they're up against this year. Yeah, like uh, I've got them projected. It's still we'll talk about win totals later. I've still got them projected as as a two seed, but it wouldn't be if they came in and won forty three games and were the fifth seed or something. They wouldn't go, man, why? That's unbelievable. I could couldn't have seen that coming because well, I can. Like you can easily see all the ingredients are there for stuff to happen. And you know we already saw that when Murray and Porter were out the year before, like it was, it was a big struggle. Not saying that they're going to miss all of the season, but we've seen it before. We've we've seen what happens, and we've already talked about all those things. But what about if you had to pick a breakout candidate? I've got two guys in my mind. Who do you think would be the breakout candidate on this squad? Oh boy. Uh, do I have to go non-starter? Because I think there's a good chance that MPJ. No, you can do whoever. I think there's you a good chance that the MPJ takes a big step. So he was coming off the injury last year. Go ahead. Are you, are you still there, Matt? You just froze. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the thing with MPJ is that he was coming off the injury last year. It was a back problem. Shot well, obviously. Had a disappointing mm -hmm. finals. But there's a lot that he can add to his game. Like he does have the capacity to be a three-level scorer with his size and the athleticism and his ability to get a shot up. I think that if he's able to get more reps, get more comfortable, he's looked good in the summer runs, which everybody looks good in the summer runs. But if he takes a step forward, I honestly think that there is another level he can get to where he can start to look more like the star that he has always envisioned himself rather than the role player Denver has asked him and that he has been willing to be for them. So he would honestly be my best kind of candidate there because – I just don't know enough about Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson, Julian Strother to have any kind of sense of them. We've talked about Zeke Naji's injury history, and I feel like Christian Brown's a pretty established product. Like, I don't feel like Christian Brown's going to explode and all of a sudden be like, a, wow, he's like a sixth man of the year candidate. That's not Christian Brown's game. So to me, the guy with like the most upside, honestly, is going to have to be Michael Porter Jr. because he's the only guy I can really look at and say he has runway, he has skill level skill stuff as a baseline for him to build on he's got to be my candidate for breakout what about the other side of things who is a regression candidate you can't choose deandre jordan because i don't think he can go lower oh poor deandre he's such a good dude for them he, he is. uh boy i'll say kcp yeah, just think, based off i think of, it has think, to be yeah he's just you know he had a really great shooting season last year He's played a lot of basketball. He's one of the older guys. Just like he might have a slump here and there. I think KCP is pretty steady, pretty regular. I w the other one I would kind of go to actually might be Aaron Gordon, just mm. based off of teams will start to scout a little bit more of the stuff that he was able to be successful at last season. They The Nuggets absolutely feasted because they were like, you're going to have to worry about Jokic and Jamal two-man game. Oh, by the way, we also have Aaron Gordon that he can jump down underneath to when they start to get more used to it and he shifts to being getting more of the attention, I think there might be a little bit of a dip in Aaron Gordon, even though Aaron very willingly has sacrificed a lot in terms of his per game stuff here. 
I think there's a slight chance there. I think KCP is the easy one though to look at and say he's probably the the biggest regression candidate. Now you do a lot of a lot of work with with statistics and projections and all that sort of stuff, Matt. And KCP was one of those absolute poster childs because you saw what he was doing and he was shooting like forty six percent from three. And yeah. I just kept going. Oh, look, there's no way. Like it's just it's not going to continue. He shot. 48% in November, 44 in December, 45 in January. And then he ended up barely over over 40%, ended 39 in February and 25% in March because you just can't do it. Unless you're Joe Harris or Luke Kennard, who are like absolute generational level shooters, like you just can't maintain that level of production. And yeah, his numbers dipped. And over these, I think he was over his final 25 games, he was a 33% three-point shooter in the regular season, which is significantly below average and you know if he's just a 36 percent guy then so much of that extra value that he provided sort of disappears like because when you're knocking him down at 45 percent like that's huge it's, it's unbelievable but when that falls away then that and of course he's an older player as well who had probably one of the best seasons of his career and that's always hard to bank on repeating do you think this team has a surefire trade candidate someone who you think would be the highest chance of getting traded or do you think they're just more likely not going to make any sort of move like that Unless there is a chemistry issue that erupts after winning the title and, you know, MPJ decides that he, it's time for him to be a superstar, which I just don't see happening. He's never kind of shown that. He's backed up a lot of the talk about – he always said, like, I just want to win, and he made the sacrifices that were asked of him to do that. Um, so unless that happens, I think Zeke Nagy is probably the biggest candidate just because there's going to be eventually be a point where the Nuggets get to, like, look, it's just not going to happen for us. Like, it's not going to happen here. Maybe he gets healthy somewhere else, but – you know, we really can't keep going along with every time that we give him any sort of minutes, he gets hurt and he's out. And then the shooting inconsistency, Zeke's not an, uh, a good enough prospect for them to commit long-term to. So if you're trying to get a veteran, if you're at the, if you're mid season, it's January and you're just like, we just need to pick up somebody to get us through the next three months. Packaging a protected pick with Zeke Naji makes a lot of sense as like a low value prospect to, to go ahead and throw out there to get a veteran that's available for cheap on the market. So Zeke Naji is going to have to be it for me. Yeah, I would say so. Like, there's been so many chances and it just hasn't really, it, it could still work, but look, I, yeah. I tend I tend to agree with you there. Let's look at our win total projections. They were 53 and 29, sixth best net rating plus 3.8. They obviously took the foot off the gas through April and March last season. Vangel's got them at 53 and a half, which feels, um, it feels rather optimistic to me there. I've got him at 51. You've got him at 50. I've actually, I created this graphic yesterday. And since then, I've actually gone back in and adjusted them down to 50 as well. Matt, your, I think your projections had him at like 49 and a half. So you were around that mark going comfortably under that Fangio number. Um, we touched on that before. It's, I, I, I don't see how they're a better regular season team than last year. Yeah, a lot of this is that my numbers actually don't necessarily didn't love them last year. Like they overperformed last season. And so um, just from a, a betting perspective and the stuff I do over the Action Network, 50 is kind of a key number. Uh, unders on 50 or more wins have gone under about 60% over the last 10 years just because it's hard to get over 50 wins. Yeah. It's just hard to meet those when you expect it. We always have a lot of 50-win teams, but they're not all the teams that we expected to win 50 games. And so when we got a number like this up at 53 and a half, it's an easy under. Under. Um, we talked about the the depth, the lack of depth. If they, it's such minor stuff that can derail them. If Aaron Gordon sprains his knee, no big deal. They avoid surgery. Phew, yeah. Lucky, lucky Nuggets. But okay, he's going to miss three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? It, MPJ slides to four. Sure, 
you putting Zeke Naji at three, you putting Christian Brown at three. Okay, if Christian Brown's at three, who's your backup two guard? Is that all of a sudden Justin Holiday? Are you pulling Julian Strother, the rookie, and having they have all of these picks that were picked where they were for a reason and they have drafted well and maybe those guys are dynamite. That's entirely possible. But from where we're at now and the known quantities and how important those are in projecting, I have a hard time getting there. You add in the motivation, you add in um, the fact that their, their half court offense wasn't nearly as good as their transition offense last year. And some of those things can, can be kind of variable. You kind of touched on the shooting at KCP. They shot, they had exceptional shooting luck last year. This is a team that creates awesome looks. So part of it's like, yeah, if you have Jokic and you create great looks for great shooters, you're going to shoot well. But even if we account for all that, they overperformed even that. So I think some regression is reasonable to expect here. I wouldn't be surprised if this team was at 48, 47 wins with some bad injury luck. If things absolutely went sideways, of course, and Jokic gets hurt, that's a different matter. But with like if, if Jokic suffers a minor injury that he misses some time, that can put them more into the six seed range in those kinds of situations. They have a lot of talent. Jamal Murray can have finally the season everyone's expecting him in the regular season versus his playoff performances. They still are very talented. And this team will still be a threat. But regular season, I cannot see, no matter how much Malone pushes them, I can't see this veteran group being like, yeah, we're going to put the hammer down and we're really going to go for the number one seed again. No, no, no. That They're going to be like, we got to be ready, healthy, and rested for the playoffs because we know how grueling it is. They will do that approach. I think they'll win way fewer than 53 games. I like, think that they're a slight under at 50, honestly. Yeah, look, I've got, I do have them at 50 at the moment, which would be the two seed in the West, and I'm you know, I'm not really that confident. And out of the ones that I've done so far in terms of team previews, I'd say the Nuggets under and the Hornets over feel like the ones that seem the most off at this point in terms of like, I just, I just don't see how it happens. I just don't see how they're hitting 54 wins at this point. And I expect that that, uh, that FanDuel total will, will end up coming down um, over the uh, the coming weeks and months heading into the NBA season. Now, Matt, that brings us to a Denver Nuggets grid. We're looking, you know how the grid games work, I am sure. We're looking at the Nuggets and the Rockets, the Nuggets and the Bulls, the Nuggets and the Bucks, Nuggets Blazers, Nuggets Pacers. And the last one is someone who averaged 20 points per game in a season while playing for the Nuggets. Now, of course, we can't do the rarity scores here because it's just you playing. But what we do have is a way that I have devised to work out how to find the players that are probably harder to to discover here. And what I've done is looked at the games played for, you know, say for the Nuggets and the Rockets, chosen the smallest of those two numbers, and then graded all of those, ranked those all amongst those. So if someone played 400 games for the uh, Nuggets and two games for the Rockets, that counts as a two in terms of grading in the score. So you're looking for you know, just these random appearance players and then I've graded all that out of a scale of 100 to get scores across the board so we can compare you to all the other locked on hosts. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, I want to start with Nuggets Blazers, and we're going to do Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton Nuggets Blazers. That is one that I did not think we were going to be getting. All right, that is a very good score because Raymond Felton only played 21 games in Denver. Was that Carmelo Anthony trade-related? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. And he put up some pretty good numbers, I think, in those games as well because he came over yeah. to replace uh, Chauncey Billups if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, Nuggets, Blazers, Raymond Felton. That's a 5.87. That's a really good score. All right, where are we going now? That's my best one because now it's going to get rough. I'm, <laughs> I am surprisingly struggling at these games. I'm usually really good at it and the sign of how I'm getting older. Uh, I assume that these have got to be games of actually played. So I can't yes. use players that have not yet played for, for no, these teams. They okay. have to have played, yep. Okay, uh, let's see. I got to think of, I'm, I'm better with bulls. I'm trying to think of a, a good Chicago bull here. Um I've got a. I know a great one. Every time this appears on a grid, Bulls Nuggets. I've got a good one that I use for that. But like, let's see where you go. I don't think JJ Hickson played for them. 
Help me out with one on the Bulls. Um, let's have a look. I'm having a look. I'll give you some clues with some players here. Um, well, I don't really know how to even give clues. I'll, I'll give you the clue of the one that I always use. He is uh, he's French. Rudy Fernandez didn't play for the Bulls, did he? No, Rudy Fernandez is also not French. But no, he didn't play for the Bulls. No, he's not French. He's Spanish. What mm -hmm. am I doing? Um, oh, man. Uh, oh, the kid's name. <laughs> oh, you're killing me here, Josh. Help me out. The player that I am thinking of was he's, I think he's he's still he's still playing in Europe at the moment. He was a Nuggets second round draft pick. His name is Oh yeah, you there. You there. Yes, you are the Joffrey Laverne. Joffrey Laverne. Joffrey okay. Laverne who's a okay. was a Bulls and Nuggets legend. That's a 14.29 on that one. Um he played 20 games for Chicago, 83 for Denver. Okay. So we got Denver versus Indiana. Um, that's an interesting one just because I feel like most of Indiana's guys don't go anywhere. <laughs> they just kind of like play there and then they like vanish into the ether. There's um, there's 42 players in history that have played there between okay. these two teams. Okay. Wow. There's, there's a couple here that I've just did, had no idea. Oh, okay. Wow. That's a great one. Well, there's a couple of good ones here. I'm excited to see where you go. Oh boy. Okay. Um, I think of that 2000. I was trying to go for the 2010 teams because that's far enough back that you get a pretty good rarity score on them. Yeah. And you're able, usually able to find like a handful of guys that you can kind of locate. Uh, oh, I got one. I got one. I got one. I got one. Roy Hibbert. That is the one that I was thinking. That is an amazing yes. one because yes, he had yes, yes. six Great. six games for the Nuggets. That is a 2.25 score for Roy Hibbert because obviously he played tons for Indiana, but I don't think many people would uh, remember him suiting up for Denver. 2.25 for Roy Hibbert. We've got Houston, Milwaukee, and then the 20-point-per-game scorer. Um, this is going to be a not a great uh, rarity score, but I'm going to go do Ty Lawson on the 20 points per game. Let me let me give you more of the, the structure of the 20 points per game because we want someone who's averaged 20 points per game in a season for the Nuggets, but also you want the, someone who's played the fewest career games for the Nuggets. Just I, okay. I, should, I should have mentioned that. Oh, so somebody that has that's averaged 20 points per game at some point in their career, but no, has also played. No, they have to have averaged 20 points per game for the Nuggets, but, Nuggets. but then we grade them on who's played the fewest career games for the Nuggets. Boy, okay. So, so sometimes, sometimes it's guys who are like, you know, obvious answers but then you think oh they actually didn't play that much for Denver despite averaging 20 points per game for them did Fareed ever average 20 I don't think Fareed did that's that's a good that's a good question <laughs> I'll say Kenneth Fareed okay you'd be wrong um okay. Kenneth Fareed did not <laughs> average 20 points per game. I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you answers for all of them um See the thing is that you the thing that you know here is I didn't cheat by looking no, at these in advance. No, I could you, have just done the stat head and looked them all up. You definitely did not cheat um, because I didn't give them to you in advance either. Um, all right, so that is I'll tell you who was a good one on that one. Allen Iverson only played 135 games for the Nuggets, but he did average 20 points per game in a season. He, or actually, the lowest score was Orlando Woolridge, who averaged 20 points per game at, at some point in his Nuggets career. But you uh, you get a zero. We get 100 on that one. So now we've got uh, Rockets and Bucks. Okay. All right, you're you're giving me a zero on the points per game. Okay, uh, I only do the ones where I can get, get them wrong repeatedly because otherwise I would never ever be able to get any of these, and that's oh, yeah. uh, a real problem. Shout out to um, Hibbard. 
Este... Oh, I know. I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. Because he's played for every freaking team in the league. Ish Smith. Yep, so which one's he? Bucks or Rockets? Bucks. Ish Smith Bucks. 13-team legend, Ish Smith. Let's have a look at what his um, games played Games played were for the... Oh, that's actually pretty good. He only played 16 games for the Bucks in those 50 or so that he played for the Nuggets. So that's a 6.91. So, yeah. Let's go. He's not a well-known Bucks player. And there you go. That's a good score there. And the last one is the Rockets. I've always got one name that always comes up for me in this one. Um, it's just every time I see it on one of those grids, I always go this same one. I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of the uh, Kyle Lowry, Louis Scola Rockets teams. I'm trying to think of who played on those, on those teams to get a sense of who would have been on Denver. Um. Oh, no, I know. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. No, no, he was an exec. Never mind. He was an exec with Denver. He didn't play for him. <laughs> I was going to do Chuck Hayes. Chuck Hayes worked in their scouting department. But Chuck Denver, I don't think Chuck oh, played no, for the... No, he didn't play for Denver. No, you're right. He didn't, he didn't play for Denver. Damn it. Um... Hmm. But there's some unbelievable names in this on this list. You're gonna to have to give me a hint, Josh. I'm blanking there. Um, well, there is there's a, there's an absolute one that's standing out that is just a huge Nuggets legend that is gonna give you a really good score. Um, there are some all-star players. You've already mentioned one of these guys' names as well in one of your other uh, guesses. Um, and if you want to, and another option I can give you is uh, if you talk about players who play for oh. every, every team, there's another one of those guys here as well. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna use I'm gonna use Ty Lawson for the for the Rockets. Ty Lawson, yes, that is that's the one that I usually go for on this one because he played those fifty three games mm -hmm. and then got into all of that uh, legal trouble, um, or I think maybe some of the legal trouble might have even been before that trade. But do you want me to run through the the litany of weird names in this group? Carmelo Anthony, yes, Carmelo Anthony played ten games for the Rockets. For sure. uh, um, Demarcus Cousins played for both of these teams. Um, oh my God, you're right. Boogie played for, for the Rockets. I forgot. Tr Troy Daniels, James Ennis, Kenneth Fareed. Jeff Green. Oh, oh man, James Ennis. Not I. That's the one I should have gotten. What? Uh, that's the kind of guy that I should have gotten. Mark Jackson. Really? Yeah, Mark Jackson played fifty-two for Denver and forty-two for Houston. I do not did not know that at all. And how about this one? This is a, a cracker. Costas Papanikolaou played twenty-six for Denver and forty-three for Houston. And oh, Von Wafer's on that list as well. So there's some. There are some absolute great names. I thought on about that. Vaughn. I thought about Vaughn. I couldn't remember when Vaughn was on the Nuggets. That was he, the one I couldn't figure out. Yeah, he played 21 games for the Nuggets. I don't know when it was. Oh, Kevin Willis, another one who played a small smattering of games for Denver there too. Matt, thank you. That'll do it for us talking Denver Nuggets. Thank you for coming on. Tell us what's going on over at Locked On Nuggets at the moment. Yeah, man, check out Locked On Nuggets. We've, we've got shows all throughout the offseason talking about we're actually reliving the championship. If you want to check it out, uh, we're doing all these interviews. I'm doing all these interviews with different Nuggets personalities in the media sphere. Going to be talking to some of the player development staff, all sorts of folks, just getting their sense from what it was like to win a championship. Uh, if you want to, 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 to have a better feeling of what it was like for a team to win its first title, we've got you covered as well as getting you set for this upcoming title defense over on Locked On Nuggets. Go check out Locked On Nuggets. Matt, thank you once again for coming on. Thanks for having me.
And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.